Likutei Sichais, Chelek Tesvov, Parshas Vayeshev, Sicha Aleph. We are learning this Sicha Le'ilu Nishmas Rabbi Yosef Ben Yaman, Ben Rabbi Menashe Kaltman. The juxtaposition of the two Parshias, of Vayishlach and Vayeshev, Vayishlach concluding with the settlements and descendants of Esav, and Vayeshev beginning the story, the settlements and descendants of Yaakov, is explained in Chazal with a parable of a king who owned a pearl that became discarded in a pile of dust and gravel. To remove it, the king had to clear away the dust and the gravel. Upon accessing the pearl, the king set down the dust and gravel and dealt only with the pearl. Dealing with this juxtaposition in Rashi, Rashi Aleph in Perak Lamed Zayim reads, Vayeshev Yaakov and Yaakov dwelt. Achar shekosav l'cha yishuv esav v'told esav b'derach tzara. After the Torah describes esav settlements and descendants in brief, for they're not important enough, Rashi says, to elaborate on in detail, pirish l'cha yishuv Yaakov. The Torah elaborates on the settlements of Yaakov and his descendants, who are important enough to Hashem to speak of at length. So we find when the Torah relates the generations between Adam and Noyach, they are briefly mentioned, but when we speak of Noyach, it is at length. And when recording the ten generations from Noyach to Avraham, the Torah is brief, and when talking about Avraham, the Torah elaborates at length. There is a mashal, a parable, continues Rashi, of a pearl fallen in the grains of sand, Man feels through the grain, sieves it with a sieve, until he finds the pearl. And when he finds it, he casts away the pebbles from his hand and takes only the pearl. This parable reflects the idea that in order to begin to speak of the community of Yaakov's descendants, one must first relate, however briefly, the story of the community of Esav and his descendants. And as Rashi, quoting from the Medrash, continues and says, this is similar, as we said, to the ten generations from Adam to Noyach, and then from Noyach to Avraham, where there is not much elaboration until we come to Noyach and until we come to Avraham. But once the pearls are accessed, the pearls being Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the Torah occupies itself with them. But something about this muscle doesn't suit our situation of how Vayishlach ends and how Vayeshev begins and why these parshias are juxtaposed one to the other. When there were ten generations between Adam and Noyach, and then ten generations between Noyach and Avraham, there was the need to enumerate and list, again, however briefly, the generations that came between them. As per the parable, sifting through the dirt to find the pearl. 
But we have already been talking about Yitzchak Avinu, the father of Yaakov, the son of Avraham. We're already accessing pearls. Why then mess around in the dust of Esav and his descendants to access Yaakov and his descendants? Indeed, there were events that transpired with Esav that had a direct impact on and connection with Yaakov, like the blessings Yitzchak bestowed on Yaakov. And one could say that in these events that feature Esav, Yaakov is, so to speak, mixed into the dust of Esav. So these events must be told, though they feature Esav, to know the events that transpired with Yaakov. Even Esav, taking up possession of and dwelling on Harseir, which we learn about at the end of Parshas Vayishlach, can be understood, as the Maharal explains, as important to the population of Yaakov's descendants and where they settled. For only after Esav conquered Seir and settled there did Yaakov become the only heir to Eretz Yisrael, which of course is the purpose of the story of where Yaakov's descendants settled. But while even this idea, that we learn the events of Esav, which intersect with the life of Yaakov, doesn't actually speak to the actual mashal, Yaakov isn't hidden or concealed in these events, it's just that these events of his life and the events of Esav's life are enmeshed. What's more puzzling and challenges the mashal is that Parshas Vayishlach takes the discussion of Esav's descendants all the way into the generals of Edom and the kings of Edom who ruled even before we had kings. And really, our stories at that point don't even merge. There are also some details of the parable that need explaining to really understand the nimshal within the mushal. What do dust and gravel refer to? And why is it significant to tell us that when the pearl was accessed or found, he set aside the dust or the gravel? This seems pretty self-explanatory. Finding the pearl was the goal of digging in the dust and the gravel. So, the wording should have been, and when he found the pearl, he got busy with it. No need to mention putting aside the dust and gravel, which is surely insignificant. This lengthy language of the muscle tells us that after finding the pearl, there is a need to set aside the gravel and the dust to be fully involved with the pearl. What does this mean? We know that Rashi reveals some wondrous thoughts on Torah, and noticing that Rashi actually quotes the muscle from the Medrash, but makes several changes, we see that instead of the term used in the Medrash, lefashvesh ba'afar, to rummage in the dust, Rashi uses the term lemashmesh b'chil v'kavrei b'kivra, feels around in the sand and sieves it with a sieve. In fact, elsewhere in the Medrash, using the same muscle, but in a completely different context, there is mention of sieving with a sieve. So why does Rashi take this singular idea from that same but completely unrelated parable? As well, Rashi mentions both chayl, sand, and tsurais, pebbles or gravel, but Rashi makes a change. At the beginning of the parable, Rashi mentions only sand. Rashi says, it fell among the grains of sand and he felt around in the sand. At the end of the mashal, Rashi says, When he finds it, he casts away the gravel or the pebbles, not mentioning sand at all here. 
Also, the final idea in the parable is taught in Rashi, with a change in wording from the the word mashliach, he casts away, to heniach, he puts aside. The Maral explains this first change from sand to casting away the pebbles as having to do with a greater irrelevance of the latter settlements and descendants of Asaph, like pebbles to be cast aside. There's no real association or mixing of the latter settlements of Asaph with the settlements of Yaakov, much like a pearl which can get mixed with sand but cannot with pebbles. But this explanation of Maharal is seemingly not clear, as in addition to the fact that the explanation that once the Pasuk and Vayeshev begins to discuss Yaakov, Esav is not talked about, is already explained in the beginning of the Mushal, in the idea that the king feels around in the sand only until he finds the pearl. So Mashlech HaSatzreiris doesn't tell us anything new. The Maral's explanation states only that there is never a reason to search among the pebbles because a pearl won't get mixed into the pebbles. But according to Rashi, it's specifically when the pearl is found that he casts away the pebbles, which is proof that there is the possibility of a pearl becoming mixed in the gravel. To understand this all, the purpose of the settling of Yaakov and his descendants on their land in Eretz Yisrael was not only the temporary settlement of Eretz Yisrael, but as Yaakov says to Esav in Parshas Vayishlach, until I come to my master to Esav to Seir. And Rashi tells us that Yaakov had the days of Mashiach in mind, when when the saviors will ascend Hartzion and judge the mountain of Esav, the mountain of Seir. In fact, this is the intention of Chazal with this particular parable. It's not a discussion about the specific settlement of Yaakov, which is not actually hidden, so to speak, away among the settlement of Esav and his descendants. Rather, the parable was about the final intention and purpose of Yaakov, to arrive in Seir. This Aveda requires, or rather, this requires an Aveda that puts Yaakov in the settlements of Esav, and thus is, Yaakov is considered hidden within Esav. With this understanding, we can appreciate why, at the end of a Yishlach, the Torah counts and enumerates listing the settlements of Esav and his descendants far into the time of Shaul HaMelech. For Shaul is called Mashiach Hashem. And if we were worthy then, we would. this would have been the time when Va'olu Mashiach Bahadziyin Lishbait is Har Esav. This also explains the intention in the two words Afar, dust, and surais, gravel. In order to judge Harseir, there are two ways of achieving refinement and justice. One, the way Asaph will find refinement in the future era of redemption, similar to several nations that would become overturned to good by God. As the Apostle Kinsvanya says, Oz Ephaichel, Amim Safabrura, I will change the nations to speak a purified language. So they all proclaim in the name of Hashem Shechem Echad and serve Hashem in a single understanding. And two, 
There is a level of Esav that is completely bad and must be eradicated. Completely. These two ways are like Uffer, dust, and Sreiris, pebbles. Uffer, dust, conceals. It's purposeful, and it's not completely negative, and can be compared to a peel that hides and guards a fruit. Sreiris, pebbles, don't just conceal, they cause harm. And this kind of cover must be eradicated. The ultimate fulfillment of Yaakov's task is when the Rav, Yavid Tzair, the elder or greater, serves the younger. When Har Esav is judged, this term Rav, greater, is used and not Gadol, or the elder, is explained in Chassidus as the Medaber who must consume Tzimeach and Chai and the mineral life of Daimim in order to live and exist. All these three life forms precede Adam the Medaber, an indication that Ace of the Bechor is actually from a higher source than Yaakov. The root of Ace of Soul is Olam Hataihu, the world of chaos, which is higher than the root of Yaakov, which is in Olam Hatikun, the world of rectification. When Yaakov purifies and rectifies the holy sparks of Taihu found in Esav, Yaakov too is elevated in the domain of Tikkun and achieves his completion and wholeness. This too is an additional reason for why in Vayishlach the Torah enumerates the kings who ruled Edom before a king ever reigned in Israel. This represents the level of elevation that transpires for Yaakov through rectifying Esav, as these kings are of the source of Tehu, higher than the root of Yaakov of Tikkun. The ultimate lesson here is for us in Golos. A descent into this last exile, exile, referred to as Golos Edom, is so that we rectify the sparks in physicality, which is sourced in the world of Tehu, higher than the source of the soul, which is in Tikkun. This very Aveda is alluded to in the muscle of a pearl concealed in the dust and the gravel. The pearl is an analogy for a spark descended and fallen into dust and gravel, representing two aspects of physicality. Physicality that just conceals sparks of holiness, dust, covering the pearls. There is, this is a physicality from which the sparks can be elevated through a Jew's divine service. The pebbles, a representation of an irredeemable bed, from which one cannot, with one's regular divine service, access the pearls. And so these things must be repelled. Accessing the pearl in the dirt requires that one actually show how the dust, in other words the physical, that holds the spark in itself has no significance for him. Involvement with this level of the physical is only to retrieve the pearl. Thus, the parable states, he sets aside the dust, because if the physical is important, he cannot retrieve the pearl and can even cause a greater descent for someone. It's only when the physical aspects of one's life can be set aside, when we make it clear that this isn't the ikar, that is when the sparks within can be elevated and one affects a great elevation for one's soul. Now we understand the changes Rashi makes, as Chassidus explains, the changes as details in one's divine service of purifying and elevating hidden sparks. One's main effort is with the sand that conceals a pearl, and not gravel from which one cannot really extricate a pearl. 
which means that a person must find, excuse me, must first feel around in the sand to get a feel for where the pearl is concealed. After sifting the sand through a sieve and separating the bad and the good, one can actually separate out the sparkles of holiness. The pearls. Rashi thus concludes, as does the Medrash, that when finding the pearl, throw away the gravel. The gravel reference is ultimately to the sand that was separated from the pearl, which now too has nothing that needs to be redeemed from within it, and now is also bad and should be avoided or discarded. In man's divine service, this is the idea of a person completely discounting physicality as significant on its own. It's only the pearl resting in the dust that made it anything other than gravel or pebbles to be completely discarded. When the peel covers the fruit, it has importance. When it's removed to access the fruit, the peel is discarded. This type of avoida of rectifying divine sparks began with Yaakov, for it was Yaakov who begins the actual preparation for Matan with his descent into Egypt, and from which we were redeemed to, reserve the, to receive the Torah. Matan accomplished drawing the Shekhinah from beyond worlds into this world. Godliness, or the light of godliness from within worlds, takes world as a concept into consideration. But to achieve the ultimate avid of discarding the Gashmias, what can, one cannot consider Gashmias as significant. Hence, Rashi brings this parable only once we begin to discuss Yaakov's journey in Avedis Hashem, not when speaking of Nayach nor of Avraham, while they both, Nayach redeeming the sparks of the ten generations before him, and Avraham even more so, redeeming the sparks of the generations before him and uplifting the sparks in his generation, it wasn't a complete Aveda of Mashliach Hasatsurais Miyadai Vinaitel Hamargolis, throwing away the gravel from his grasp and taking only the pearl. Even after their service of Birur, the world remained impactful. Rashi does mention Noyach and Avram, however, to point out that their Aveda made Yaakov's service possible. Noyach's involvement in rectifying the sparks were sparks caught in a world that filled God with anger. Hence, Hashem made a pact with Noyach about the continued existence of the world. Avraham's divine service was to reveal godliness in the world. And these two levels of tikkun made it possible for Yaakov to fulfill his avoid of birurim, preparing the world for Matan Torah, a world where transcendent godliness was revealed and the ability for a complete world birur. This birur, finding the pearl, casting away the pebbles, is the avoid of every Jew. And as it pertains to Klal Yisrael, it's about elevating the sparks in Golos. Golos exists only for this purpose of redeeming divine sparks. Just as Golos Mitzrayim existed until they left Egypt, the Torah tells us, Berchosh Gadol, Exodus explains, with the great wealth of having redeemed all the sparks in Egypt. As soon as this Aveda was finished, the pearl revealed they were redeemed, Keherafayim, and were gone from Egypt like in the blink of an eye. They left in haste. Technically, what was the rush? Once the exile and slavery was over, they could have spent time in Goshen, which was a really great place to live. Why the rush to leave Egypt altogether? Because once the pearl is found, the Aveda completed, the rest is discarded. 
And so it is with the conclusion, the end of the last Golos, Golos Edim. As quickly as this Golos ends, we are out. Miad Golin. All Jews will leave all countries behind and come with Mashiach to the land that Hashem's eyes rest upon in the ultimate redemption and final redemption, Bekarev Mamash.